We start this programming today with a special announcement. Dallas, Texas, we're coming for you. Yes. We are so excited. We have a live show on Thursday, October 19th at the Texas Theater. The doors are at 7. The show is at 8. There are general admission and VIP tickets still available. VIP gets you a signed poster and access to our post-show Q&A. And My favorite part. Those Q&As so get kind of ruckus. They get so buck. <laughs> I feel We're like- all wasted by the end. <laughs> it's so fun. And we tell all. We, we definitely tell all. There have been proposals. They are not uh, recorded. Yeah. The, the venue staff are always like, what is happening? So anyway, uh, splurge for the VIP ticket if uh, you're so inclined. And you can get yours now at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Go check it out. Dallas going to be there soon, baby. We'll see you on October 19th. We'll see you there. Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Yeah. Some of us are making a nail appointment real quick. The rest of us are just fine. (laughs) Some of us locked ourselves out of our home and we'll we'll get to it (laughs) we'll get to it tell them what you did which allowed some of us time to go get a smoothie from the banh mi place oh nice (laughs) i got a grown-up smoothie but we'll also get to it Uh. okay well oh i'm kenyan oh Oh. (laughs) i'm lucy Oh, I'm Amanda. (laughs) And this week we have a very special fan pick. They're back, baby. They're back joining us for Hog Mm. Girl Fall. Mm -hmm. We have fan picker Sarah Gallup, who is a psychologist at a state hospital and wants to shout out their podcast, Behind the Walls of the World's Psychiatric Hospitals. Yes, I will be tuning into that. (laughs) Fuck yes. Yeah. Uh, way to go, Sarah. Also, you and I might be distantly related, like very distantly related, because I have some gallops in my far back family tree close to the witch at Salem era. Like the poles? Gallop you got to gallop over to Ancestry.com and make, click on those little leaves and make that connection. We sure do. Yeah. All right. Well, Sarah, uh, in line with their job has selected the topic of mental asylums yes which is we we know is not the preferred nomenclature anymore and we will Mm -hmm. get to it Mm -hmm. that's part of and i've got my waverly hills sanatorium sweatshirt on and you two are both wearing stripes that make you look like you escaped an asylum we're patients Yes. We accidentally sort of almost matched today. We sure are. I just decided I wanted to pretend that it's more fall than it is here. Yeah, what's your temperature there right now? Still in the um, 80s? 
Well, during the day, it's still in the 80s, but in my third floor office, it's probably still almost 90. Hmm. It's gonna be fine. We're gonna get. To, we're gonna get to a human temperature soon. Huh. Ugh. We're gonna get there. I hate that for you. All right. Well, <laughs> let's let's hydrate, Amanda. What Ugh. is our wine crime pairing for mental asylums? Well, as mentioned, I am an agent of chaos today, and I had two meetings today, and one of them was not in my home. And it was scooterable, so I scootered to it and scootered back, was 30 minutes early to when we were supposed to record, was feeling like really good about how I had scheduled my day and not done- such an adult. And not done the ADHD block where when I have one thing scheduled for the day, that means I can't do anything before that thing. Mm -hmm. I was like really proud of myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I put my scooter away and I left the keys in the ignition of my scooter and locked the garage and went out the garage door and locked the knob and was approaching my door when I realized I don't have my keys, which means I don't have my house keys. (laughs) And I also don't have any way to like go get keys. Bill wasn't home. (laughs) So I walked to the bar. I slammed a beer. I called my (laughs) husband. He, you know, had lunch with a friend and came and got me afterward. But it just like discombobulated my whole fucking afternoon. Honestly, it was Bill's fault for going to a 3 p.m. lunch. Yeah. Thank you. Who does that? Right? Besides me. Mm. Right. And and me. I do it all the time. But But Bill (laughs) Bill seems like he gets up at a at a human hour. Yeah. Like does he get up in the morning? So there's no reason his lunch should be delayed that long. No, but I swear that man gets up and like has a smoothie and then doesn't need to eat until like eight PM. Yeah. So he probably just like wasn't even hungry until that time and then that's when he could meet up with his friend. So but anyway, long story short. Your girl just did not have the spoons for a pairing. So I grabbed a high noon vodka soda, the black cherry one. Are you one. sure it's not a truly? It's not a truly. You can see the label. Clear as day. And uh, this is what I'm drinking because I feel like I have esca- escaped the asylum and I'm not supposed to be out in the world. Like mm-hmm. it might be unsafe for me to be out here. And alas, <laughs> Here I fucking am. The staff you were is coming to out look for of me. the asylum. I was locked out of the comfort of my little asylum that I call home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so I was so excited because, like, my neighborhood bar. Oh, sorry. Nice crack. Eh. Um, my neighborhood <laughs> bar is a, like, four-minute walk. And I had never, I guess I hadn't been there before. I thought I had, but I guess I hadn't. It's only beer and wine. I wanted a beer and a shot. Oh, or like man. a gin and tonic. Yeah. Mm. They don't do liquor there. Mm. So that's not even a real bar then. Grow not up. really. Not yeah, to me. That's a wedding. Yeah. yeah. And my wedding was even that's a fully stocked. Mm-hmm. It's a daycare. So I was, I'm gonna be honest, it it was like the perfect neighborhood bar. Like Lucy reminds me of every bar in Des Moines, except for the fact that they don't have a hard liquor license. That's so, like, ridiculous. I'm not going to go there. All th- and it's the only bar I can walk to. That sucks. I'm so sorry for your loss. I just want to cry. What beer did you get? 
It was really good. It was like a mango <laughs> something pale ale. It was very delicious, but it was not. I wanted a shot of Grand Marnier and like a Bud Light. That's what I yeah. fucking wanted. That sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah well, well, I'll get you. I'm, I'm drinking a prebiotic soda because I'm 36. Raspberry rose for a healthy gut. You said you were getting wine. How did that happen? I I already had this. And then I also got, that's her postbiotic. Yeah, I got my postbiotic. (laughs) She's bookending her biotics with her prebiotic and her postbiotic. With some Costco Savvy B, baby. (gasps) Savvy B. I can't wait for January 3rd. (laughs) (laughs) We'll bring you some in the hospital. Please do. (laughs) All right. Cheers. A cheers. I hope you're all surviving out there. I'm <laughs> surviving, not thriving over here. All right. Well, Lucy, what is our background and definitely psych? What if there was <laughs> none? Mental asylums. I mean, there's, yeah, it, the whole thing is psych, really. Yeah. Okay. I was like, ma'am. It's mostly history because I wanted to get into that creepy, creepy stuff. Yeah, this is feeling very, like, aligned with spooky season. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So mental asylums, which we now call psychiatric hospitals, provide care and treatment for people with severe mental illnesses. Mental asylums used to be referred to by such names as lunatic asylum or insane asylum, Mm -hmm. which reflect the highly stigmatized attitudes toward mental health issues in the past. We're getting better. We're not there yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Today, psychiatric hospitals focus on providing effective treatment with a short-term stay. They want to get you better. They want to get you home. Get you home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although they've improved, there is still a stigma surrounding the idea of going to such an institution, and we'll kind of get to that. But first, like I said, I got some history for us. Mm, Herstory. Herstory. Asylums have been in existence for a, a very long time. Because mental illness has been in society for a very long time. Yep. Mm-hmm. One of the very first ones was believed to be in Baghdad in the year 792. All right. Way okay. back. Innovative. Mm-hmm. Ahead of the curve. Yeah. The first one in the U.S. was the Eastern State Hospital in Williamsburg, Virginia. Mm. Raise your hand if you've been to Williamsburg. As a child, and I desperately want to go back now as an adult. Me? Fucking too. Oh, let's go. Can we go to Williamsburg? Yes. Williamsburg live show. (laughs) Let's do it. it. Well, we could do a DC live show and then go, but it is a bit far. Let me look at the map. Williamsburg live show. Did I stutter? (laughs) We'll be in full regalia costume. I desperately want to go. It's only a few hours. It's got to be. Whatever. Uh, oh, my God. It's only. Oh, no, that's a flight time. I was like, it's only three hours from Louisville. How is that possible? It's not. It's nine hours. OK. <laughs> so the Eastern State Hospital in Williamsburg was established in 1773 and built on eight lots in the James City County portion of the city, which were acquired by a guy named Dr. Thomas Walker. Mm. He liked to walk his eight lots. Three hours from D.C., but it's very close to Richmond. Oh, we could do a Richmond show. It'd be very all that small. haunted, all that haunted shit in that area. I would go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God forbid we just have a ghost vacation. Mm-hmm. Right? We can. We deserve. We can have a vacation. Yeah. We don't no. have to monetize everything. No. No. We I do. Will get me haunted. Haunt me up. Mm-mm. <laughs> 
At the time, the hospital received various nicknames such as the Madhouse, the Lunatic Hospital, Lunatic spelled with a I-C-K at the end. Mm. Oh, my God. And the Public I-C-K Hospital. <laughs> the establishment of such an institution was recommended by Virginia's governor, a guy named Francis Fouquier. 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 <laughs> His influence and interest quickly established him as a leader in the movement to build a mental asylum. This Enlightenment era Quing, because he was very enlightened for the time and also it was during the Enlightenment, mm -hmm. suggested it to the Assembly of Virginia and provided an address to the Burgesses, Burgesses, the higher-ups, where he recommended the establishment of, quote, a hospital at Williamsburg for persons of disordered minds. Love Sign it. me up. Mm -hmm. And speaking of improved language surrounding mental health, here is another excerpt from that speech. It's not great. Oh, God. Quote, it's history. It's history. It is expedient. I should recommend to your consideration and humanity a poor, unhappy set of people who are deprived of their senses and wander about the country terrifying the rest of their fellow creatures. Honestly. white men. Yeah. I fall <laughs> in this category. Yep. I identify with this explanation. Illegal confinement and proper provision ought to be appointed for these miserable objects who cannot help themselves. <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. You were locked an hour ago. You were a miserable object yeah. who couldn't Tag help yourself. yourself. I'm a miserable object who cannot help herself. <laughs> couldn't even acquire a shot. No. No Grand Marnier. None. Actually, we'll kind of get to the whiskey. Not that Grand Marnier is a whiskey. The hospital only charged their patients 15 pounds a year. Oh. The first residents were two people named Zachariah Mallory and Catherine Harvey. There were 36 patients by the end of the first year, and by 1784, the facility was filled, so its court of directors petitioned the governor of Virginia to give them more money to expand in order to accommodate the growing number of, quote-unquote, lunatics that were, quote-unquote, still roaming the city. <laughs> hey, where are all these lunatics coming from? <laughs> they were always there. There was just no hospital to treat them. Yeah. While the okay. money was allotted four years later, it was not to actually expand the building, but just to repair the already deteriorating structure. So they, they weren't getting a lot more room. They were just no. kind of cramming more people into slightly better This is buildings. a common theme throughout the mm -hmm. history of like any and all quote unquote asylums where they were built yeah. to house like X amount of people and then there was an influx. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it. Yeah. And then it was way they couldn't overcrowded. They afford the repairs. Mm -hmm. uh, and shit got fucked up. It was actually pretty big, though. If you go to my folder, this will be on the blog. There are a couple pictures of it. Mm -hmm. It had, like, multiple wings. I mean, it was yeah. on eight lots. It was, it was pretty big. Mm -hmm. That is enormous, mm -hmm. actually. That's, wow. Then, whoa. They must have expanded over time. They mm -hmm. expanded over time. And maybe yeah. they expanded it more after 1784. Mm -hmm. They must have. Mm. But they had to. There was some. Uh, I wrote these like two weeks ago. I don't know. Well, you're, we're yeah. all learning together. Mm -hmm. Right. During this time, many doctors believed that the reason why people were acting crazy was because mm -hmm. of an inner battle between good and evil. So like humors and shit. 
mm-hmm. spirits, the devil. Mm-hmm. Y'all motherfuckers need Jesus. <laughs> and that that was the cause for their deviant antisocial behavior. They believed these people were helpless to do anything about it as it was forces outside their bodies and beyond their environments that controlled their behavior, thinking, and emotions. So, like, demons had control of their souls. That's... I hold to that. A demon does have control of my soul and all of my behavior. I am not responsible. The way that they tried to drive out the demons... Not great. You probably would not be a fan. Mm-mm. No. So at this time, the most common treatments were ice water baths, mm-hmm. force feeding of rotten food to oh, induce Jesus. purging, mm-hmm. physical abuse, use of a dunking stool, bloodletting, blistering, and using chains, straitjackets, and restraints. Yeah. They don't none, like that. I just like having a demon to blame. For like 200 years. Right. And we will get to it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They also, like, sometimes bathed the person in whiskey, and I don't know why, but it didn't sound that bad. Maybe just to kill lice. Yeah. Like, maybe not even... There would be other ways to do that. You can just drown lice. You don't need to use expensive whiskey. I don't know. I don't think whiskey was all that expensive at that time. Well, water was like back in the days where, like, yeah, yeah, but water was probably less safe than... Eh, well, whatever. Less clean. I'm Googling it. All of this was done mostly by unskilled attendants. So it's mm-hmm. like, hey, you want to make a dollar a month? Come yeah. come work here. Come dunk some impaired folks in a ice cold whiskey bath. Mm-hmm. You're hired. So mm-hmm. by the start of the 19th century, perspectives and treatments began to change at the hospital. The French physician Philippe Pinel started to promote the idea that a large percentage of the mentally ill population could be cured with proper slash humane treatment, such as close and friendly contact with the patient, discussion of personal difficulties, and a program of purposeful activities. So therapy. Right. But before that, it was just trying to cast out a a demon. Yeah. Demon dunk tank full of whiskey. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, some like bodybuilders will do whiskey baths to prevent water weight. Oh, does it like dehydrate you? Like first, they will take a regular bath and get all the get all the salt out of their skin. Will go into the bath and then they'll bathe in alcohol to like prevent future water from getting in, so they don't. <laughs> Fucking ew. No thanks. I don't know. At what cost, Men will do anything to lose weight. Uh, uh, (laughs) Men would more quickly take an alcohol bath than just fucking go to therapy. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. Quit thinking about the Roman Empire. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was up until like 2 a.m. talking to M. Schultz from And That's Why We Drink About This. Because I was like, you're younger than me. What is happening? I don't understand. And they were like, they're trying to they're like, they're trying to find an alternative. I have to read some of these, actually, because this is so fucking funny. I was also extremely high. And they were like, they're trying to find an alternative that fits for women for women. That isn't, that's like the same as the Roman Empire, but not. That's like that weird and unexpected, but true. Yep. Yep. And some of them that are recommended are like boy bands, witches, medieval times, true crime. What else did they put in there? Oh, the Titanic, to which I was like, I think about the Titanic 
every 15 minutes. <laughs> I am constantly well, since the submarine. I am well, no, I was already <laughs> thinking about the Titanic all the fucking time. I think about the Titanic, Lady Diana and JonBenet Ramsey every single day, at least mm, once. That's Mo- weird. Probably more than once. I, I have ADHD. These are in, these are what my recurring predominant they're like intrusive, intrusive thoughts, thoughts are, yeah. well besides like uh, body dysmorphia right. i can't think of anything that like you think about all the time that's just like random no that's and weird. like a blanket i mean i would personally apply. think about like the worms a lot but that's mm. not but in most that's not like all women think about worms <laughs> once a sure? day start asking <laughs> ask every cis woman you know how often she thinks about worms. worms yeah no that one's not hitting for me we'll we'll think of it we'll get there <laughs> we'll get there oh. but yeah zach's response to the roman empire thing was does the movie gladiator count to which i said yes and then he said probably two to three times a week Oh, my God. I feel like I think about Game of Thrones frequently because things remind me of it. That's not the Roman Empire, though. No, I know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go of, back to thinking about I'm the thinking Titanic of something and Princess paral- Diana. I'm thinking of something parallel to Gladiator the sure. movie. Sure. The movie Practical Magic. I definitely think mm. about daily. Yep. Yep. I think about my to-do list all the time. That doesn't count. Yeah, I know. All right. We'll think about it. We'll get there. Continue. Mm-hmm. I need to plant a garden. Okay. Mm. <laughs> that song. <laughs> I need to plant a garden. <laughs> As Penel's theories start to spread, we we begin to see more violent treatments being removed from therapies. Mm-hmm. Except in really extreme cases, they still do really horrendous shit for a long time, mm-hmm. and still do. Later, another doctor named Doctor John Minson Galt the second. Mm. Uh, the medical superintendent of the facility, the East State Prison, whatever I called it, I don't remember what it's called, believed that effective patient care was grounded in knowing how one patient differed from another and then tailoring their treatment accordingly. What an idea. Right. Who knew? Way to reinvent the wheel. It was was inventing the wheel. People hadn't Mm -hmm. done this before, which is... terrifying yeah he kept methodical detailed files categorizing each patient by different things such as the possible cause of insanity their occupation their religion their age their marital status etc so he became one of the first physicians in the country to see the short and long-term value of like patient histories Mm -hmm. (laughs) like records Mm -hmm. amazing knowing something about About the person person you're treating treating. right (laughs) anything Yeah. Asking basic questions. Name. Yeah. In his approach to therapy, he established calm and tranquility in the patient. So you go in a room. It's very quiet. You're encouraged to be quiet and calm. He believed that only in a tranquil state could the patient actually open themselves to a cure. And he knew that by traumatizing a patient into treatment, into treating them, it wouldn't make any progress. Mm. Yeah, you'd more likely turn someone insane than Mm -hmm. help them. Yeah. But of course, there are people for whom achieving a calm state was easier said than done. So they Mm. still started using tranquilizers on them Mm -hmm. or just putting them isolated in an empty room by themselves Mm. and or. Once openness to treatment was shown, individual personalized therapy based on their history and responsiveness began. Dr. Galt was considered to be 
years ahead of other physicians in the country when it came to yeah. treating the mentally ill. Wow. His impressive results allowed the hospital additional funds. There we go. To build two new wings and make major improvements. So it was Dr. Galt, like, mm -hmm. succeeding in this these treatments that they were finally like, oh, I guess it does work. Mm -hmm. Here's okay. some funding. Yeah. Unfortunately, and ironically, the expansion included a bunch of new electrical wiring, some of which proved oh, to God. be faulty. Oh, God. So the Eastern State Hospital caught fire and burned to the ground on June 7th, 1885. Oh, well, I thought we were going to get into shock therapy from oh, that segue. I didn't, no. Mm. We'll get, we'll, I will reference fires in mm. my case. So while there had been multiple attempts to restart the facility, it never returned to the productive state it had while Dr. Galt was there. And also, unfortunately and ironically, Dr. Galt himself died in a suspected mad. Died in a suspected suicide of an <gasps> overdose of laudanum in 1862. This was like a couple weeks after Union troops captured the hospital during the Civil War. Mm. Oh, well, war and your hospital burning to the ground would be a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, the the hospital burned afterwards. Oh, okay. Well, still, war coming to your town would be very traumatic, and I would certainly be tempted to uh, tipple the old laudanum. It was just <laughs> if I had access to it and the, the troops were at my door. Well, a lot of people did use it recreationally. That's why they weren't sure if it was an intentional suicide. Yeah, I'm like, even without the troops at my door, I'm here for it. I got my vial right here. Mm. I want to tipple the old uh, laudanum. <laughs> be great. Let's go. I wish it wasn't addictive and life-ruining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So here's how psychiatric hospitals work today. So a person becomes a patient at a mental hospital as a voluntary patient or as a compulsory patient under the Mental Health Act or a deprivation of liberty safeguards order. Mm -hmm. You can be held under the Mental Health Act if you have mental a mental disorder are at high risk to yourself and others because of said disorder or are unable to receive treatment in the community, like from some other avenue. Right. So if you've ever heard of a 5150 hold, yep. that's a 72 hour involuntary psychiatric hospitalization. If an adult has been evaluated to be a danger to themselves or others or is gravely disabled. Mm -hmm. So that n number name is named after the number of the section of the Welfare and Institutions Code. And there's also a 5250 code, which goes up to 14 days of hospitalization. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. like more serious. Well, they're both serious, but you know what I mean? It's longer. Afterward, doctors and professionals will assess the best treatment for the patient, be it medication or some kind of therapy. Involuntary hospitalization often violates patients' freedom of choice it's also against the individual's liberty and autonomy and could be deemed a humiliating and even traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. One case report found that involuntary treatment is concerning due to the breach of a self-determination principle and the risk of a breakdown in the therapeutic relationship, often causing an environment of hostility and confrontation. Yeah, if you're there against your will, then the doctor is going to be the enemy, especially mm -hmm. if paranoia is part of your illness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Not that I have a better answer for any of this, but... Right. But yeah, we can see how that would be problematic. Yeah, yeah. a thousand percent. For their treatment plan. Mm -hmm. People in these treatments often find themselves with a sense of loss of power and autonomy and loss of dignity and self-respect, 
which could further worsen their conditions. Mm -hmm. The report found that a supportive and collaborative treatment plan that encourages autonomy may encourage greater medical compliance as well as fewer readmissions. Mm -hmm. Today, there's also the movement of deinstitutionalization, which is the name given to the policy of moving severely mentally ill people out of these large state-run institutions and then closing parts or all of those places so that they're just they're they're smaller, they're more mm -hmm. personal mm -hmm. and possibly not for profit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The movement is based on the principle that people with severe mental illnesses should be treated in the least restrictive settings possible. Mm. So I think there should definitely be more of a focus on community efforts to support mm -hmm. those with mental illness rather than relying on. A, police response, yeah. or B, these huge run state hospitals where abuse can become systematic incredibly mm -hmm. easily. We will mm -hmm. get to it. At the same time, in Iowa, our governor, Kim Reynolds, mm -hmm. has cut funding to a ton of these resources just across the board. Mm -hmm. Kim Reynolds is a cunt. She mm -hmm. is. She is. She is. And not in mm -hmm. like the it's giving cunt. Like, no, no she's just a cunt. She's sucking yeah. up to the MAGA crowd big time. She yeah. fucking sucks, She dude. has, She's like, get her fuck out of there, Iowans. Bye bye yeah. it's, it's horrible. Yeah, and then whenever there's a shooting, a mass shooting, mm -hmm. Republicans are like, oh, it's not guns, it's mental health, and then they yeah. gut all these resources mm -hmm. and think that cops drawing guns on mentally ill people is gonna somehow help anything. Yeah. Yep. Like, you can't, if you're and they're clearing camps and stuff. It's mm -hmm. like, where do you expect these people to go? And what do you expect them to do? Yep. Louisville is like, there are some serious issues. I would say for a city of our size, there have got to be more unhoused people per capita than a lot of other places in the country. Mm -hmm. And yeah, basically like the city government just like clears out encampments yeah. before Derby and before like big events to like make the city look cleaner. Yeah, that's what and they do here. It's just they and destroy all of their belongings mm -hmm. in the process. And yeah. then they have nowhere to go with nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Their food, their clothes, their shelter, all of it destroyed. They will literally put it in like mounds and like fucking light it, light on, it fire. on fire. Uh-huh. It is so inhumane. Every time it gets like frigid cold, like cold warning or heat mm -hmm. advisory warnings. Mm -hmm. I have to let I can't think about it's just like what where do you where do where are these people going a they're lot just, of people die yeah they yeah. just fall and through they're the not cracks. beds even like hospitals are like turning some people away and I mm -hmm. saw that there was like a report of a lot of unhoused people like walking around in like scrubs mm -hmm. because all of their possessions were destroyed, destroyed. by the fucking police and clearing they, out the camps yeah they had nowhere to go, so they go to the hospital. They're they might scrubs. Yeah, and if they're lucky, if there's space, maybe they'll get a few hours in a bed or possibly an overnight in the ER, but then they there's yeah. no long-term care plan for them. Right, yeah. Ugh, it makes me so fucking mad. Mm -hmm. And that covers people who aren't necessarily struggling from mental health issues. No. Well, but the, there's usually a lot of overlap if there's drug issues or mental issues. Yeah, I'm just saying it's like uh, casting an even wider net potentially. This it's treatment right. applies to any and all unhoused individuals. It's just mm -hmm. there's also, like Kenyon said, a huge overlap. Right. Mm -hmm. It's tip often a comorbidity. Right. They're already being turned away from resources and they literally have nowhere the fuck else to go. Or if they're having a mental health crisis... They're mm. 
probably not seeking out what few resources are available. Right. Mm-hmm. And it takes so long to get a bed or get you into the to, system. Like, kind of know what the fuck is up to yeah. find those. You like, need a social worker. Yeah. To navigate it. It's right. such a hard system to navigate. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't know how people fucking do it. It's awful. This was like a few years ago. There was this girl outside of the bar when I was there with my friend and she was like wearing like these weirdly high heels with like socks and like her outfit was just kind of weird and she just had a backpack and she was just kind of like looking around Mm -hmm. and I and I went out there and I was like are you do you need do you need some money or something do you need help and she was like I need to I need to find a phone book and I was like oh there's a there's a Walgreens over there. They probably have a phone book. It was like across the street. And mm. she was just so confused. And so, there was obviously something going on with her, but she was like afraid. And yeah. so mm-hmm. I <laughs> I was going to do this by myself. But fortunately, my friend jumped in the car with me. But I was like, I'm going to take you to this shelter. That's I put her in my car and drove her to the shelter. Mm-hmm. We were there for like two hours mm-hmm. because try of- to get her intake done intake stuff um she the, you know they have like female dorms and male dorms she mm-hmm. was she was like afraid of men she wouldn't talk to the guy she needed like a pen and paper mm-hmm. and then and then there's only so much that they can do there because they're not a they're not a yeah. ward they're not a hospital anybody. right yeah and if you have one person who is in crisis and is acting erratic and could endanger the other mm-hmm. guests there mm-hmm so it's, I don't even know if they let her stay there that night. They might have just turned her, turned away. her away. Yeah. The ho- I mean, the hope is that they can help coordinate care that would be appropriate for her. But they're so understaffed and underfunded. In they those- couldn't. We were asking. We were like, what else can we do? Where else can I take her? What? Right. She needs to go somewhere. And they mm. were just like, this is she really the help. only place that might have had a bed for her or might have had help for her. And we don't. Yeah. It was really... Disturbing. And like we are not qualified to be assisting in some of those acute situations. Mm. No, you know I, put, I, mean? I put myself in a bad situation. Yeah, you I'm did. glad I'm glad my friend came with me. But yeah, it was so like I can't let this girl just walk around. Right. And she's making it sound like there was someone out looking for her. I didn't right. know what else to do. I didn't want to call the police. Yeah. Right. So anyway, all this is to say pay attention, fucking vote. Yeah. And know that if you or a loved one are going through a crisis, you can call or text 988 to get help. It's that new hotline. Mm-hmm. And that it takes more than just lip service to mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes actual resources and funding. Mm-hmm. And so you got to vote for, for policies that actually do that and not just politicians who talk out of their asses about yeah. it. In order to distract you from other things. Let's get Kim Reynolds out of office. That would be a good start. Okay, that's my segment. Glad we're all pissed off now. (laughs) Yeah, well. I mean, my case is, uh, it's interesting. It's it's not as dark as normal. It's Mm -hmm. interesting. Woohoo! Yeah. Wow, I'll take it. It'll only make me cry twice this time. Yeah, (laughs) you'll probably cry, but it'll be worth it. Okay. Okay, we'll be right back. (laughs) Have you heard of Dipsy? Yes. They have. Yes. I know I have. Yeah. But I want to share it with all of you because they have all types of oral 
pleasures to explore. A U R A L, like your like your ears. Not what you were thinking of, you scallywag. Yeah. Uh, but actually, they have that too. <laughs> if, you know, mm-hmm. if that's what you're into. Anyway, uh, take it away. <laughs> so, if you're curious, if that's piqued your curiosity, Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for everybody. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters and accents. Yes. Mm-hmm. Dis- discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. They are radically mm-hmm. inclusive. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. And you have never heard celebrities like this. They've got people who will surprise you when they come into your ears listening to these stories. Literally. Yeah, where you're like, wait, I know you from Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. (laughs) What's happening to my body? It's a wonderful surprise. And Uh new content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again and again and again, you can always find something fresh and new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories. I love those. Mm-hmm. They've got wellness sessions and sexy stories you can read if your AirPods aren't charged. Mm-hmm. So let, you just need to get a fix. You just yep. got to get your fix. So let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. One more time, dipsystories.com slash gals. And treat your titillation. Treat it. In case you haven't heard us talk about Care Of before, which you probably have, it's Mm -hmm. a subscription service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your front door every month. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed. I was, as you know, I was never a vitamins gal. I was... Buying gummies by flavor alone, not by benefits. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. It was basically candy. Yeah, it was basically adult really candy expensive shopping. expensive candy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so Care Of was great for me because I was truly starting from scratch. And all you do to get started is take a short, simple online quiz. We love a good quiz. And it asks you questions all about your lifestyle, your health goals. And then Care Of gives you doctor-backed recommendations on what vitamins that they think would fit best for you. And then they like teach you what each vitamin is and what it does. It's really amazing. It's so easy and it's very informative. So Care Of also then is convenient as heck. They make taking your vitamins on the go so convenient with the individual daily packs that are perfect for a busy routine. You just throw a few in your purse, your gym bag, uh, throw them in with your lunch. Uh, I know, Lucy, were you saying you keep yours in the bathroom so that they like greet you every morning? Above my kitchen sink. Yes. Yeah. That's the move. I love that. I'm obsessed. I also love like their powders. Mm-hmm. I have some of those so that I will easy. just like add to my smoothie in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, get collagen. out of here! Seriously, the call. Oh, the call. The care of collagen, like matcha powder, is 
a fave. I'm obsessed with it. Care of is, it's a must have. So for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50, G A L S 50. Again, for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50 and treat your wellness. Treat it. Okay, so are we ready for my case? Yo, I don't know. It's quite famous, <laughs> but you might not pick up on who it is until a little bit later on. Okay. But you'll probably have heard of this. I'm I'm assuming, and a lot of our listeners probably had heard of this. I wanted to cover it because I only knew the broad strokes of it, and I wanted to learn some of the details, and I'm so glad that I did. Is Winona okay. Ryder involved? Kind of. Oh, what? Kind of hashtag inspo. Okay. For Winona. Girl Interrupted. Kind of some hashtag Girl Interrupted uh, inspo. Love it. Oh, okay. Love that movie. Elizabeth Jane Cochran was born on May 5th, 1864 in the town of Cochran's Mills in Western Pennsylvania. Cochran of the Cochran's Mills Cochran's? Okay, but <laughs> literally, yes, she was Nailed one it. of those Cochran's. Nailed it. The town was actually named after her father, Michael Cochran. Get it. He'd started out as a laborer and mill worker, but eventually worked his way up and managed to buy the local mill and most of the land surrounding his family farmhouse back when that was still possible. Okay, guy. He later became a merchant, then a postmaster, and finally associate justice in the town that he founded. Wow. And I swear I'm not padding my case. This stuff about her dad and her childhood is actually relevant. So just stick with me. (laughs) So Michael was married twice. He had... 10 children with his first wife, Catherine no. Murphy. No. Goodbye. Jesus. Then I'm pretty sure Catherine died, and then he married Yeah, again. after having 10 kids, I'd fucking die, she, too. She was wore out. That's I would lay down round. and just die. Yeah. yeah. Well, you'd melt into the earth. That's yeah. what happens. Absolutely. Game over. <laughs> I... Uh, Sonia's been, I love her so much, but she has been sick and has not done one full week of daycare yet. Because mm-hmm. she's always sick. And so they're just random days. It's like yep. this lottery that like one day this week, I don't know which day, I won't be able to accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she'll but be home from school. In the 1800s, you just put them outside. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> they didn't. You wrap them in snow they didn't have until daycare. their sniffles they didn't go have away. Work no, from home. I'm just saying <laughs> it's a lot. And I have one. She's just saying she knows exactly how it feels to have 10 kids exactly. in the 1800s <laughs> pen- rural Pennsylvania. I get it. That's I, all she's saying. I get it. I fucking I get, get it. it. Girl boss, you can do this, mama. Where's the laudanum? Where's the laudanum? <laughs> okay, so first wife dies after 10 kids. She's wore the fuck out. Then mm-hmm. he marries again to a woman named Mary Jane Kennedy, which just reminded me of Jessica. Mm. And had... Totally. Five more children with his second wife. Dude, so we had stop. 15 kids? Cut it out. It He's... Cut it off. You're done. He's the common denominator. Yeah. He's a monster. Get the... Yeah. Get, put your dick away. It's well, unreasonable. Ugh. Elizabeth was part of this second batch of kids. She was thir- the 13th. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so gross. But when Elizabeth was just six years old, her prominent father died. 
And that meant that his estate would have to be split up amongst his 15 children. So they each leaving get five bucks. Yeah, you <laughs> each get a blade of grass from the farm. Basically, yeah. It was like for one dude, it was like it was wealthy. Mm-hmm. But when you split it amongst 15 and a lot of the children are now adults. Mm-hmm. It meant that his widow was left just a small fraction of the wealth that sh- they'd once enjoyed. Oh, I'd be pissed. That's right. bullshit. It, it, everything should go to the other, to the spouse. Yep. And then when the spouse dies, then it goes to the but kid. But then the yeah. second wife could choose to fuck the first 10 kids over and only give the money to her own kids. Well, <laughs> not her problem. Okay. Sorry. The other woman had so many kids, it literally made her fall down and die. And now this other woman fucking comes in and has fucking five more because her fucking husband needed his dick cut off. This is not, it's it's not my problem. It's about the eldest boy. I am the eldest eldest boy. Uh, fine succession go to the eldest boy i don't care but this is fucking i hate this i hate everything about this i'm so upset (laughs) so elizabeth's mother soon remarried like for survival yeah she has 15 kids she has two kids aren't hers no she has five i don't i don't know if she's taking care of some of the first 10 you know she is probably yeah but she, she she remarries just to have an income. But her second husband was abusive, so she quickly divorced him. Oh god, she can't she catch a break. Relocated with her children to present day Pittsburgh, but she's basically penniless. Oh god, and now she has to live in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I'm just gonna say this poor. Poor woman. I can't believe she hasn't laid down to die yet. Just let the grass, let the earth take her. The coal-laden, oil-soaked earth of Pittsburgh could just take her into Yuck, the ground. I can smell it. Yeah, Pittsburgh has a smell. So financially, times are tough, and Elizabeth knew that she would need to help support her family. And since there were like two possible professions for women at the time, that meant that she would have to train to become a teacher. Mother and teacher. Right. Seamstress, nurse, wet nurse, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mother. So she was like, options. I guess, teacher. <laughs> so at the age of 15, she enrolled in Indiana Normal School in Pennsylvania. I love a normal school. I don't That's know confusing. why they're called that. I love Which it. Which is now called the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. The Come Indiana on. University of Normalcy <laughs> in Pennsylvania. Here for it. Why are they well, called Miami schools? of Ohio? I don't know. I don't know. Look it up. Around this time, she also added an E to her last name to sound more distinguished. So she's Elizabeth Cochran. Now, big change, big diff. Uh, But due to lack of funds, Elizabeth was only able to stay enrolled for one semester because then they couldn't afford to keep her in school anymore. So then in 1880, she had to move back in with her mother to help run a boarding house in Pittsburgh. Okay, I figured it out. I figured it out. I mean, Googled it. The term normal school is based on the French École Normale, a 16th century model school with model classrooms where model teaching practices were taught to teacher candidates. So it's like trained teachers oh, and not it. just like a lady from each town. Right. Okay, cool. So it's the original teaching colleges. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in 1885, so for five years, she's been out of college and back home helping her mom run this boarding house because like needs must. Right. But she's she's smart and she wants more in life. 
1885, Elizabeth read an article in the Pittsburgh Dispatch called What Girls Are Good For. Oh, <laughs> my God. We Do you have the have article? <laughs> no, I wish. We would not have lasted four seconds in this era. <laughs> no. Oh, this no. is the worst era. All we've done is complain. I'm ready to have all of my agency taken away. And the clothes weren't even cute. Or the hair. You throw a dartboard or a dart at a dartboard with three possible jobs on it and just yeah. see which one you get. This yeah. is the worst era. It it's really pretty is. Rough. Besides the fact that like there's emancipation. Other than that, it's the worst era. Lots of mm-hmm. like coal and smoke. Industrial yeah. revolution. Puffy sleeves. Stripes. Okay. Well, I'm talking to you two. You're both wearing stripes, but stripes. you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Stripes have a place in modern society, lace. honey. Lace. A lot of lace. Yeah. Velvet. Every, every shoe was oh. like laced up like like yeah. a lot of laces. Yeah. So uncomfortable all the time. A pointed laced up leather boot was your daily shoe. No. No. And it was always too small. Mm-mm. No Rothy's. Belong no to your Rothy's, mom. No fucking f- thick foam neon green Target slides. Oh. oh, I love my slides. They're so comfy. <laughs> okay, so it's the worst era, and she reads this article, What Girls Are Good For, I in the newspaper. Oh, I thought you said and she wrote it. At least no, she read, read it. it. Good. She's being inspired by this incredible piece. <laughs> and surprise, Think surprise. Piece. It at this think piece advocated traditional gender roles for women and argued that a woman's place is in the home and that her main role is to be a helpmate to a man. Hashtag mm-hmm. trad wife TikTok in mm-hmm. 1885 edition. No. Yikes. So these kinds of articles were commonplace, but it pissed her the fuck off, especially mm-hmm. having seen the result of what relying on a man for everything had had on her own mother. Mm-hmm. who was just like overnight through no fault of her own rendered penniless and then abused mm-hmm. and then had no job opportunities. After splitting open for five kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she said. And marrying into an existing 10 kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I will never recover from that. Yeah. (laughs) So she sent an anonymous letter to the editor signing off as lonely orphan girl. (laughs) Love this. Her writing skills impressed the editor, George Madden, and he gave her a job writing for the paper. Okay. At 15? No, 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 no. She, this, now she's 20. Oh, okay. Her first article entitled The Girl Puzzle argued for better job opportunities for women. For women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Her second, Mad Marriages, was about how divorce affected women. In it, she argued for a reform of divorce laws. This Good time, though, oh yeah, she was a badass from day one. This time, though, she used a pen name, which was customary for women writing at that time because, you know, they didn't want to bring shame on the family mm-hmm. by like. <laughs> by having an opinion. By, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, publishing so, it. So her editor chose the name Nellie Bly. At first, Nellie with a Y, mm-hmm. like Band-Aid Nellie. Why have I heard of that before? Yeah. You, it's, it's famous. famous. Mm-hmm. So af- this was initially after a popular minstrel song by Stephen Foster. So mm-hmm. like really problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, quick side quest into minstrel songs. Oh, uh, this. Good. This one was published in 1850 and was about two black kitchen maids who sing and play the banjo as they sweep the floor and like 
stoke the fire. Oh, God. It's mainly offensive for its use of exaggerated, like, black scent spellings, like mm-hmm. stoke the fire yeah, kind of stuff. Other than that, it's not I mean, as well, they're just so the- happy to be sweeping the floor. <laughs> yeah. it's pro- it is problematic. I just, it's less violently problematic as some other minstrel songs, I will say. Okay. But sure. it's still horribly problematic. It also was used, bizarrely, as a campaign song for Abraham Lincoln. Oh, good. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So anyway, I guess her editor liked the name and she was new. She had just written two articles. So mm-hmm. she rolled with it. Although the Y was changed to an IE by typo and she just rolled with that as well. So now her she's like, all right, I guess my pen name is Nellie Bly. Mm-hmm. All right. So Nellie Bly started to make a name for herself writing about the lives of working women with a focus on women working in factories. Mm -hmm. But factory owners started to get pissed and they complained about Bly's articles to the Pittsburgh Dispatch's editors. Mm. She was like too heavy hitting. Stop empowering women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bly was then pushed into the women's pages and forced to write about fashion, parties, and high society. Mm. But she was like, not here for this was Mm. not what she had signed up for and so when she was 21 she left pittsburgh and traveled to mexico to work as a foreign correspondent for her paper cool which which i'm sure raised a few eyebrows like i don't know for a fact but like she might have been the first female foreign correspondent for a newspaper Mm. sweet i like her can i like her yes 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 i just need to make sure it's not always apparent She spent the next six months reporting on the lives of the Mexican people and even protesting the imprisonment of a local journalist who had been critical of the Mexican government. Mm -hmm. When she was threatened with arrest herself, she had to return to the U.S. But once back on U.S. soil, she let loose and wrote like diatribes about Mexico's leader, Porfirio Diaz, accusing him of being a tyrannical czar suppressing the Mexican people, controlling the press, all the things that he was, in fact, doing. Mm -hmm. Finally, Nellie decided that her time at the Pittsburgh Dispatch had run its course, and she quit with a note. And this note is amazing. This Mm -hmm. is her I'm quitting note. Mm -hmm. It said simply, quote, I am off for New York. Look out for me. Bly. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Keep it short, sweet, to the point. That's good journalism. Yeah. Yeah. In 1887, she secured a position at Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper, The New York World. Of the Pulitzer Pulitzers? Yes. (laughs) And her very first assignment for this publication was an epic work of stunt journalism that is still well known today, almost 150 years later. She was to gain admission to the Women's Lunatic Asylum, a mental facility located on Blackwell's Island, which is now Roosevelt Island in New York City, where they occasionally have like outdoor concerts. To do so, she used a pseudonym, Nellie Brown, and then successfully tricked a number of people. First, people at the Temporary Home for Females, which is like Mm a halfway house kind of for like destitute women. Females. Then policemen from the Essex Market Police Court. And finally, doctors at Bellevue Hospital, all into believing that she was genuinely insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. To do this, she stayed up all night to give herself the wide-eyed look of a disturbed woman. Tag Mm -hmm. yourself. 
<laughs> right. Mm. So to give herself the wide-eyed look of a mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and began making accusations that the other boarders at the temporary home for females were insane, which I think is like such a funny way to do it. Mm-hmm. Be like, all these people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So Bly told the assistant matron, quote, there are so many crazy people about and one can never tell what they will do. (laughs) So good. (laughs) When several doctors came to examine her, all declared her insane. Quote, positively demented, (laughs) said one. (laughs) The New York Times called her. (laughs) Quote, I consider it a hopeless case. She needs to be put where someone will take care of her. That was Amanda in her backyard earlier. I consider it a hopeless case. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Send her to the bar. And thus, she was eventually sent to the asylum on Blackwell's Island, which was her goal. She was even able to fool other reporters who came to see her there. And I was curious why reporters would bother to go to Blackwell's Island to report on like the one random woman because they Mm -hmm. didn't know who who she was. was. Yeah. So I looked into it and it turns out Nellie was a fox. She was just like (laughs) hot. Okay. Oh, God. (laughs) And reporters wanted to write the story of the, quote, beautifully troubled girl. The hot, crazy girl. Yeah. Winona. Yeah. She's not like other girls. Oh, God. (laughs) Who ended up in an asylum. So they were Mm -hmm. like, she's pretty. We should figure, we should, like, look into this. Mm. I like this manic pixie vibe. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I can save her. Mm. I can save her. (laughs) (laughs) Ish. And so the story, even before her real identity was known, had already drawn significant media interest. The New York Sun inquired, who is this mentally distressed girl? (laughs) Suddenly everybody cares because she's pretty. Yeah, so funny. Meanwhile, the New York Times described her as a, quote, puzzling wanderer. With a wild, haunted expression in her eyes. I like Back pos- in Pittsburgh, they're just like, oh shit, that's just Nellie. What's everybody fucking losing their minds about? I like positively demented better. Yeah. <laughs> and her distressing plea, I can't recall. I can't recall. <laughs> She's genius. Yeah. In total, Nellie Bly spent 10 days in the asylum, during which time she witnessed appalling neglect and mistreatment of the patients. Mm -hmm. And while some of them clearly did require mental health care, although they weren't getting proper or adequate care there, but like they clearly required something. Mm -hmm. Others had simply been sent there by their families who just wanted to like be rid of them or yeah, we don't know what to do with you or like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're all women too. Not at the whole asylum, but in where she was. Yeah. The people she was reporting on though. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There were probably some like LGBTQ folks right Mm -hmm. in there whose families were like, get out of here. Others were grappling with physical, not mental illnesses, but like people couldn't be fucked to take care of them. Mm hmm. Bly also met women at the asylum who were perfectly sane, but were just foreigners. Oh, okay, great. I can't understand a word you're saying. You must Lit- be crazy. Literally. Oh, my God. 
they'd ended up in Blackwell because they couldn't speak enough English to communicate their situation to the authorities. Oh, so they just my God. dumped them there. Yeah. Uh-uh. Not guilty. guilty. Oh, my totally. God. That's real. so sad. That's what that's. I'm sure that's what that's based on. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. One young foreign woman, for instance, was sent there by her jealous husband for her, quote, interactions with other men. But she couldn't communicate that to the police or they just like weren't there to hear it from her. Oh, my God. So they God. just sent her to this asylum. Jesus yeah, better not Christ. wave at another man or mm -hmm. your fucking bonkers husband might just put you in an institution. Which yeah. they had every right to do. Yeah. Because yeah, you are property. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. God, so imagine wishes. imagine being married to someone and like they're abusive and they could just hold this over your head. Like I could just send you to yep. the asylum. asylum. Mm -hmm. That'd be terrifying. So Bly reported that nurses acted rudely and cruelly, silencing patients with threats and even physical abuse. Staff restrained the more unstable patients with ropes and made everyone sit on uncomfortable benches in the freezing cold. <gasps> like the benches with the rope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The food was almost unspeakably bad. It included watery broth, spoiled meat, like Lucy said. I thought it was just to save money, but apparently it had a, a therapeutic probably effect. Both. Probably both. Barely edible bread and dirty water. Ugh. Uh, like non-potable water. Yeah. Toilet water. Yeah. The place was littered with waste and rats just roamed freely throughout the hospital. Yep. This mm -hmm. reminds me of that Geraldo expose of the... Yeah, I mentioned that in my segment. Ooh. One of the things that struck her the most was witnessing the patient's baths. Mm. The bathwater was ice cold and poured directly over patients' heads in buckets, followed by an extremely rough washing by attendants, like oh. with like caustic bristle, yeah. hard bristle stuff and soaps was probably extremely painful Ugh. oh god their soap can't be good and if they're bleeding or whatever it's just into this water yeah oh, it's, that it's they reuse. The, the, the infection and oh god the bath water was usually not replaced and many patients had to bathe in the same dirty water one after another oh, oh i'm gonna throw up when it was changed the staff didn't bother to clean the tubs but instead just refilled it and put the next patient in the stained dirty tub from the one before. Ew. Ew. Also horrific this one's really gross you might actually throw up. Brace yourselves. I'm fine. Also horrific was the towel trading where people with sores and skin conditions along with people who were healthy had to share towels, which were unwashed. Ew. Uh-uh. Oh. No. When she wasn't being forced to eat rancid meat, eat moldy bread, or take freezing cold baths, Nellie tried to sleep. Like, she tried, when she was on her own, she tried to just, like, get through it and sleep. She's going to turn crazy. For real. Oh, oh wow. she very easily could have. Oh, I would have. I would have. But she often couldn't sleep because she was, yeah. like, so, like, so there's such adrenaline and, like, she's... Anxious and amped and up and terrified. In there and, and everyone is People screaming. screaming and, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure like sleeping on the floor or on like mm -hmm. a shitty cot. Like it's just horrible. There are rats. Yeah. Crawling every which way. Uh, uh, no. So she would stay up at night thinking about how dangerous the asylum was. She thought especially about how easy it would have been for a small fire to take the whole building down with mm. everyone in it. Yeah, and they're all locked into these wards. They can't get out. 
Bly said, quote, a fire is not improbable, but actually one of the most likely occurrences. Should the building burn, the jailers or nurses would never think of releasing their crazy patients. No, that was let them burn in there. That was another thing about the. So the fire happened after the Civil War in the hospital Mm -hmm. I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But during the Civil War, when the Union soldiers like took it over and all the attendants fled, they Mm -hmm. just left the patients there. And only only a couple people, I think they were all African-Americans, came back Mm -hmm. and with the keys and let people out. Mm -hmm. Well, the the. People who are running these facilities at this time are so brutal to these patients Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. if they were to let them out, they would probably be Mm -hmm. there would probably be retaliatory repercussions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I would want to kill someone who treated me like this. Yeah. Yeah. So not only are they the opportunity. Not only are they just they're the not conditions are human. inhumane. So the, yeah, they're not seen as human, but they also wouldn't want to let them out because if they did, it's like, well, I'm not going to let you out just so you can attack me. Right. And then neither of us escape this fire. Right. You know, that's right. why some of those like prison riots that you see that yeah. they yeah. just like flee. It's like mm-hmm. oh, we're just going to let it burn out, let it run yeah. its course because we can't. Yeah, because I don't want to get I've been go so in there. fucking horrific to these yeah. people mm-hmm. if i stay i could be fucking killed mm-hmm. yeah bye finishing her quote about the fire potential this i can prove to you later when i come to tell of their cruel treatment of the poor things entrusted to their care as i say in case of fire not a dozen women could escape all would be left to roast to death mm-hmm. even if the nurses were kind which they are not Mm-hmm. It would require more presence of mind than women of their class possess to risk the flames and their own lives while they unlocked the hundred doors for the insane prisoners. Yeah, no, they're just going to run. Yeah, they're not going to fucking do that. No. And this was not a crazy or over, or overly anxious proposition. Like Lucy said, there was this other big fire at an insane asylum. Fun fact, Zelda Fitzgerald, the mm. wife of the author... Mm-hmm. died in a fire in an asylum in 1948. Whoa, I didn't know that. I didn't know, I didn't that, know either. that either. I knew that she had been committed at various mm-hmm. points. I didn't know that. Okay, so when Nellie Bly was admitted to the asylum, she stopped all of the acting that she was doing and started to behave normally because she didn't want to, like... Stay there forever. Yeah. Commit yep. to the bit that hard. Yeah. Commit she, to she being was like, committed. I, she was like, yeah. I got in, but now like, I, I want to be able to I get out. out. Mm-hmm. But the staff at Blackwell took this change in her behavior as her acting more crazy. Oh, girl. Yeah. She got like trapped there. Oh, I think no. the American Horror Story Asylum had a storyline in mm. this season that was based on this as well. Mm. So... It was very dangerous, her just getting, like, being admitted to this in the first place. Like, she very easily could have been stuck. She could have died. She could have died. She could have been stuck there. Mm -hmm. She could have burned to death. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. She could have gotten some horrible, like, sickness. Mm -hmm. You know, like, thankfully, after 10 days, uh, she was released. And she immediately started writing her now-famed report for the World newspaper, which was later published as a book entitled 10 Days in a Madhouse. Uh, adding that to my list. Uh, it's also on Audible. Yes. When she was released, she said, quote, I left the insane ward with pleasure and regret. 
pleasure that I was once more able to enjoy the free breath of heaven, regret that I could not have brought with me some of the unfortunate women who lived and suffered with me, and who I am convinced are just as sane as I was and am now myself. Her article caused an absolute firestorm in the broader press, and after its release, a grand jury investigation into the asylum was launched. And Bly actually assisted in that investigation as well. So, like, it led to actual real change. Mm -hmm. Not enough, obviously. Like, everything is fucking incremental, but these are some of the... Right. So, the grand jury's report resulted in a whopping $850,000 increase in the budget of the Department of Public Charities and Corrections, which Mm -hmm. was, like, a lot of money back then. I did not do time money converter because I was tired and I wanted to take a nap. (laughs) And... Because I was a wide-eyed mad woman. Yeah, I was a wide-eyed mad woman. Including money for better food and bathing for inmates. Uh, These were all implemented. It also mandated that future psychological examinations were more thorough, such that only the seriously ill were actually committed to the asylum. Such that journalists can't fake their way in. Yeah, or like people who are sane, but like their families are like, no, she's crazy, trust me. Yeah, Yeah. you can't just put them away. Yeah. Or she just speaks German. Yeah, 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 or she, exactly. Or she (laughs) waved at a man and her husband got mad. Yeah. God. The asylum on Blackwell's Island was eventually closed down and its remaining patients were sent to other wards throughout the city. Her daring and unforgettable report pushed Nellie Bly into the spotlight, making her one of the most influential and groundbreaking journalists of her time. Activist journalists like Bly were often dismissed as muckrakers. So I remember learning about this in history class in school and I thought like oh muckrakers like they must be troublemakers troublemakers or like not serious journalists or whatever but actually yeah actually like a lot of them were actually important in bringing about reform at the turn Mm. of the century Mm. so they were like investigative journalists a lot of them they got down in the muck yeah they got in the nitty gritty yeah I assumed it was like TMZ right (laughs) but actually no it was I mean, it was a mix, but there were some like Nellie Bly who would do these like stunts, but then it would actually exposes Mm -hmm. would actually expose stuff for the the greater good. Yeah, I guess journalism at this time was sort of going from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that makes sense that there was a lot of gray area. So after 10 days in a madhouse, Bly went on to write about issues like women being mistreated by male police officers Immigrants who were being exploited and robbed by employment agencies and corruption in politics, all of which we know now is completely solved. Yeah. Thank <laughs> God. None Special of, thanks. None of that is a problem anymore at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she also interviewed many controversial figures like anarchist and activist Emma Goldman, mm-hmm. who I definitely want to look more into. And you might be thinking, wow, what a life. That's a life you can hang your hat on. Mm. That's what I was thinking. But Nellie Bly wasn't finished. Mm. Look out for me. Yeah. Mm. Bly. She basically became famous a second time in 1890 when she traveled around the world in 72 days. That was her? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Around the world in 80 days? Well. By balloon? No, but this stunt got a lot of press because by doing so, she was beating a quote-unquote record Mm -hmm. set in the fictional book Around the World in 80 Days by (laughs) Jules Verne. Weird. Yeah, who I always mix up with Jacques Cousteau. What a weird thing to want to do. Well, 
breaking this made up record wasn't actually her point. Nellie wanted to prove that women were capable of traveling on their own because at the time it was thought like women need a chaperone. They couldn't possibly do this, whatever. Mm -hmm. And she was like, not only can we do this, I can travel around the fucking world and I can. Faster than you, bitch. Right. I love her. Faster than you, fictional bitch. Yeah. Fuck your balloon, bitch. Not that impressive, turns out. (laughs) No. Well, still pretty impressive. It would be hard today to do that. Like you could, but it would be tiring. Mm -hmm. Just take a plane. Well, yeah, but. The airport, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And to challenge the stereotype that women needed tons of suitcases to travel. She yeah, you you set that back every time we go. Uh, you you out. <laughs> she completed. Kenyon's been turning the clock on that feminist <laughs> discovery. There's a reason they make the away suitcase in the large. <laughs> I'm Some taking two small suitcases to Charleston because I'm afraid to take the big one because it's mm-hmm. always overweight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. I got no suggestions for you. I only ever use the medium. That's crazy to me. I got a lot of toiletries. Okay. You do. You got a lot of pills. I got a lot. I of- also have a lot of pills and a know. lot of diabetic supplies, all kinds of shit. Yeah, but your medical supplies equate slash don't outnumber Kenyon's possible outfits. <laughs> yeah. You correct. don't know how you're going to be feeling. You don't know exactly how the weather is going to be. You can always shop. She does that. How do you bring it home? <laughs> Wear it. Whatever. It's fine. So she completed this trip around the world with just a cape and a small traveling bag. Oh my God. A, a carry on. I love basically. a cape. Okay, Mary Poppins. Yeah. Get it, girl. A cape. The public was obsessed with this story and they couldn't get enough of it. So when Bly returned, she expected some kind of recognition or like a bonus or maybe some accolades or something like her. This sold a lot of fucking papers, Mm -hmm. but she was basically ignored by Pulitzer, her editor. They were jealous. The prize doesn't exist yet. And she basically was like, you know what? Fuck this. Yeah, I'm out. I quit. In 1895, at the age of 31, she married Robert Livingston Seaman, a millionaire who owned the the ironclad manufacturing company and the American Steel Barrel Company. Fascinating. Yeah. Super cool. An iron and steel man. Steelman. Seaman the Steelman. When he died just nine years later in 1904, Bly briefly took over and managed both of his companies. Yeah, girl. That's what my grandma did when my grandpa mm-hmm. died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got this. Mm-hmm. Throughout her life, she was seriously involved in the women's suffrage movement. And during World War I, she traveled to Europe and was the first woman correspondent to report from the front lines of the war. <laughs> of the dirty one yeah of Mm. world war fucking one yikes yeah (laughs) so Nellie Bly aka Elizabeth Cochran died of pneumonia in 1922 but like what a fucking life that she lived yeah jeez yeah I couldn't do 10 days in an asylum she died when when Helen was five (laughs) I could I could write a letter to the editor that is that is the extent of what she accomplished that I could do. 
Mm-hmm. You couldn't do the bag, the cape and the bag. No. Absolutely not. I couldn't do that. Couldn't do the madhouse. I could do it mm-hmm. if it was filled with just underwear. I need like three mm-hmm. pairs a day. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're smelling funky, you got to switch it out. Yeah, I really like to change my underwear multiple times on a trip, but like she, in a day. But she also like learned what she could live without while she was in mm-hmm. that asylum. True. Sure. She wanted to prove a point and she fucking did it. She did it. She's proving a point to me, right? I'm still going to pack the large, but yeah, maybe it won't be overweight. Very fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Good so job. I just, I'm glad that I had an opportunity to learn more about her because I just knew a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's Google that well other done. bitch now. Who's that other one? Not Jacques Cousteau. That other one. Uh, Emma Goldman. Yeah. Mm. Goldman. Gold. <laughs> Silver and gold. Okay, let's uh, take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. Let's do it. Ever since I started using Rocket Money, I have been like finding things that I didn't know I was still paying for on a regular basis. It is haunting how much money I wasted before Rocket Money. It really is. And just today I got an email that says like, You've last week you spent X amount of money. That's X amount less than usual, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm leaving those numbers to your imagination mm-hmm. because yeah, I'll just say I was very proud of myself. But it sure. it keeps me on track. It keeps me uh, focused on my financial goals, and it, it it outlines my budget in a way that I um wasn't doing before. And I feel yeah. really good about it. And so if you haven't heard of Rocket Money before, it is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It also monitors your spending and helps you lower your bills all in one place. It's so easy to use. It's you actually like want to use it. Mm-hmm. And like Lucy said, most people think they're spending $80 on their subscriptions every month, which is what I thought I was spending, <laughs> when in reality, the number is closer to $200 a month. Yeah. A yeah. month. And you're signed up for so many things, like streaming services you use to watch one show or that your toddler clicked buy from the remote when they were teething Roblox (laughs) or free trials for delivery that you don't actually use enough to make it worth it Mm. all this stuff it adds up and it's so easy to lose track of what you're paying for and then just lose money every month for no reason but with Rocket Money you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button no more long hold times or annoying emails with customer service or like using a magnifying glass to find right. unsubscribe at the bottom of an email. Talking <laughs> to a robot for 45 minutes before they'll just let you cancel. Yeah, mm-hmm. screaming representative until you're yep. blue in the face. No. Hate it. Rocket Money does all of that work for you. Rocket Money can even negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. Yes, and all like you insurance. Have to- yeah, mm. or like your phone bill. Yeah. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money also lets you monitor all your expenses in one place, recommends custom budgets based on your past spending, and they'll even send you notifications when you've reached your spending limits or little congratulatory messages when you've spent less than your average for that week. Cute. I love that. That's my favorite feature because I feel like I'm getting a gold star. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved an average of $720 a year. And let me tell you, I have already saved more than that. Mm-hmm. Correct. So stop wasting your money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash gals. That's rocketmoney.com slash gals. One more time, rocketmoney.com slash gals. And treat your wallet. Trade yeah. it. Honey Love has revolutionized the bra game. Yes. Okay. You know that I was never one to suffer fools or uncomfortable bras. <laughs> or underwires. <laughs> that is why I have switched to Honey Love, and you should too. Upgrade from traditional bras that use uncomfortable underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat and make you mm-hmm. get that under boob. Swoop. No. Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that Mm. eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift, which we could all use a little bit of now and Mm -hmm. then. Plus, uh, they're made with fabric that's so swuffed, it feels like a second skin. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. It is so next level comfortable. Forget that you're even wearing it. I have napped in a Honey Love bra. Oh, yeah. That's a percent. So for a limited time only, you can get Honey Love on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com forward slash wine, W-I-N-E. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash wine. I'm obsessed with Honey Love bras. I have also taken a nap in mine. I've gotten rid of all of my other bras. These bras are like... Like everything Kenyon said, they are comfortable, but they provide all this amazing support. I also like how seamless they are under just like a casual t-shirt. They're not like showing all their lines and bumps and all kinds of things that you just don't need seeing. Yeah. The ridge on top, like on top of the cup. Yeah. That's the overflow ridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's just, they just, they know how to fit them, you know? So the bra I have is Honey Love's bestseller. This is the crossover bra. It is so comfortable. It will absolutely be your new go-to bra. It is for me. This bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. Plus, it has that mesh detailing, which adds like a touch of sexy without, again, like lace or those little details that can poke through a shirt. I don't love a bunch of lace on a bra. Because I want that smooth mm-hmm. silhouette. It snags. You know? Exactly. This is the one bra that you will actually enjoy wearing and you won't want to take it off. And if you're tired of bras that are causing bulging in the back, hello, hi. Honey Love's bras are designed with back smoothing fabric to prevent the bra bulge, which like when you get home, you take your bra off and you have those deep red gouges in your back from like the, the, the straps not being quite right, not comfortable. It's digging, it's bulging. Say goodbye. Life Honey is Love is too got short, you. people. Mm-hmm. Correct. For the more relaxed lounge bra, I recommend their V bra. This is another one that I absolutely love. It offers the support of a traditional bra without the uncomfortable underwire. It's designed to lift and separate. So you could get like, if you're in like a plunging neckline. Yes. Like, like very sexy peekaboo, here for it. It's got molded cups. It's not like a shelf-like bra that creates a uniboob. Like you will have two beautiful upright at attention puppies. Yep. Or and more honey melons. Love, right. Or pumpkins. Um, t- t- tis the season. 
Honey Love has so much more than just bras, too. They have incredibly comfortable shapewear. They have tanks. They have leggings. I love their leggings. So you can pair your V-bra with their breathable and versatile leggings, or you can get the matching shapewear with your crossover bra. The possibilities are endless. Honey Love has you covered for the everyday look, workouts, weddings, and more. So treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and get 20% off at honeylove.com slash wine, W-I-N-E. Use our exclusive link and get 20% off honeylove.com forward slash wine. Cinched, snatched, and lifted. It is hot girl season. Thanks to Honey Love. All right. Are you ready for my jaunts maybe sure why not yeah i you know spooky season continues it's here it has arrived it is happening and i felt like this could be a great opportunity to look into some asylum hauntings oh but of course while looking into that you just get all the stories of all of these locations which have heartbreaking histories of abuse, neglect, overcrowding, mm-hmm. mistreatment of extremely vulnerable individuals who resided in these hospitals. Yeah, I started to go down the road of like all the mistreatment and all the horrible therapies. And I was like, it's, this is really it's, bad. It's for a lot. My, this is bad for my mental health. Right. Well, I mean, I'm definitely going there. Good. So. I'm glad someone is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just isn't the way that patients were treated was deeply rooted in ableism and like Mm -hmm. Lucy said at the top, though we've come very far in terms of patient care and like disability advocacy, there's always more work to do. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to point that out because like I love a haunting Mm -hmm. and also want to remember that these were real people who experienced real trauma in their time in these asylums and Mm -hmm. many of whom died Mm -hmm. in these conditions. And as someone who does believe in like ghosts or at least in marks of lingering energy with nowhere else to go. It really doesn't come as, yeah, it doesn't come as any surprise to me that places that had so much like pain and trauma would would have have a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we saw it firsthand. We did. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't even like a cycle, like a psych. That was just like a TB treatment. Right. Those those folks were treated a lot better than a lot of other people were treated. Still trauma, suffering, but not on this level. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was like a whole other. And we'll kind of get to that, too. But I wanted to start close to home because we do have a haunted asylum right here in Minnesota. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Dramatic. (laughs) I don't know which one you're talking about. (laughs) I'm about to tell you. In 1900, Anoka opened the first state asylum for the insane. It would be Anoka. It would be Anoka, which then became the Anoka State Asylum, then the Anoka State Hospital, and most recently, the Anoka Metro Regional Treatment Center. The Miami University of Indiana. Of Ohio. The Indiana University of Indiana, Pennsylvania. The normal one. uh, Anoka location. Anoka, Minnesota. (laughs) Anoka Anoka campus. Anoka campus. (laughs) So for some background, the first 100 patients admitted to Anoka were all men. They arrived at the asylum on March 14th, 1900, and were housed in a wing of the Central Administrative Building. But overcrowding led to the construction of another wing two years later, and they continued to expand uh, through 1905. By 1917, 10 cottages, an auditorium, and a new administration building formed around a semicircle um, that completed the facility. And I do have 
some photos on the drive of the Anoka campus. So you can see that it's a big oh, compound. Wow. That semicircle. Oh, look at wow. those cottages. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are cute, actually. A lot of, lot of spots. So is that lot for like, of the, spots. the staff or are those just like no, separate this housing? this residents. And these are all like the wings. I don't know if you're actually really seeing the cottages because these are pretty fucking big. Oh. But there's like wings, cottages, mm-hmm. uh, administrative buildings. Like it, it turned into this big ass It's like a little compound. city on a river. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it so far. I have a feeling that won't last. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> a tunnel system linked the complex and nearby service buildings, oh, which was also no. common in the building of these asylums. Mm-hmm. The design allowed room for 50 patients in each cottage and increased the capacity of the hospital to over 900 patients. So we've got a terrifying compound connected by tunnels that was predominantly housing men. But then the fucking patriarchy catches up. That's the scariest part. (laughs) They're all men. In the 1930s. And so it becomes and it was co-ed. It was mostly men, but it was co-ed. And by the 1930s, the residents were overwhelmingly women because now we've had a bunch of shifts into like hysteria and, Mm -hmm. you know, control and et cetera, et cetera. Which is interesting because presumably there would be a lot of men in the 1930s like still grappling with PTSD from the war war or whatever. You'd think. But yeah, patriarchy wins out. Felt like half of these were justified anyway, probably. Mm -hmm. A lot of foreigners. Waving yeah. at men. Yeah. <laughs> so 10 of these wings or these bigger, I guess they do call those the cottages, even though they're fucking, they're big. Yeah. It's my kind of housed, cottage. Right. Housed female patients while male patients lived in the two wings of the original administration building. Okay. While some aspects of the compound were positive, like almost all of the food was grown on their own land with residents participating in farming and cooking as well as learning other skills through the chores that the residents were responsible for, like hairstyling, sewing, laundry, cleaning, maintenance jobs. Like they had a lot of Keep hands them busy. on activities. Well, yeah. And also transferable skills for when they were released, then mm-hmm. they could go find work. It okay. sounds not bad so far. It, it started off like they were doing OK, but things went really downhill really quick in the 1940s when the population had ballooned to over 1,300 res- residents when they'd oh had ju- under 1,000 previously. Ooh. The buildings became overcrowded and the hospital staff was overwhelmed. To address this issue, Anoka introduced new drug therapies Uh-oh. and medical treatments that helped reduce the number of mentally ill under the state's care. So basically, they would just way over-medicate these patients to subdue them so they could be sent home or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So while they were in the facility, they were like super doped up. Yeah. And then quiet, quiet. And then it was like, oh, they're fine. And send them home. And here's here's the laudum. Like give yeah. them this all day, every day. And that was it. Along with way over medicating reports of neglect and abuse were rising with the resident population. The conditions were awful and residents were regularly dying at Anoka State. A report published in 1948 by the Unitarian Committee on Mental Hospitals criticized conditions at Anoka State and the six additional state asylums in Minnesota at the time. It concluded that hospitals were grossly underfunded, understaffed, and overcrowded, and residents were suffering greatly as a result. From Minnesotapedia.com. What? 
How cute is that resource? I love it. Quote, a series of articles published in the Minneapolis Tribune, now known as the Star Tribune, corroborating the Unitarian Committee findings caught the attention of Governor Luther W. Youngdahl. In response, he, Governor Lundahl, appointed a task force to improve conditions for the state's mentally ill patients. Their recommendations led to significant changes in the state's approach to mental health care. To emphasize his dedication to the issue, I thought that was kind of badass, the governor called a press conference at the Anoka State Hospital on Halloween night in 1949 oh. and in front of more than a thousand spectators. I'm a journalist. Set, Me. I'll go. I'll go. Set, I volunteer's tribute. <laughs> he set fire to 671 straight jackets and restraints that had been used on patients that were piled up in front of the hospital. That is the most badass press conference I've ever heard of. Yeah, so there's a picture of him on the drive lighting this pile of restraints on fire. Look at his little hat. Oh my God, he looks so happy. Yeah, he's very pleased with himself. Damn, look at the nurses in the background. Yeah, the Ah. nurses are like, ugh. Did we all just lose our jobs or? <laughs> so Youngdahl stood next to the fire and pledged to liberate patients from, quote, barbarous devices and the approach which these devices symbolized. He went on to dedicate the power of the state's resources to helping patients get well and return to their lives. Damn. Yeah. So kind of badass. But Anoka State ceased to operate as an asylum in 1999 and patients were moved to a new facility. Since then, the compound has been updated and repurposed to be used by the Anoka County Department of Corrections, a fucking course. Also horrific. Rumors of hauntings have swirled there for decades, with folks claiming the space is haunted by the ghosts of those who died there. Reports say the location has phantom footsteps, noises, laughter, <laughs> whispers, and cold spots. Yeah. Both in the underground tunnels. I can't with the tunnels. And in the buildings themselves. We should we should do some haunted tours next time we're all together. It's yeah, I want to do overdue. a little. I want to get some equipment, man. Yeah, I want to mm-hmm. try it out. Mm-hmm. An individual who stayed at the asylum in 1999 as part of an inmate work release program during the transition of it being used as an asylum at the time into like housing and corrections, you know, administration. Mm-hmm said that he, quote, definitely heard voices in the rec room and in the basement. When I looked across to building three, where it is rumored someone hung themselves, myself and another inmate saw an apparition in the top attic window, Mm. which had been sealed by plywood and nails and also locked. So it's not like somebody was just up there hanging or like, oh, God, for lack of a better word, hanging around, like just chilling. This was where this building was where a computer class was. No one was to be in that building outside the time frame of computer class because there was like too right. much fucked so up no shit that they would hear in there. No one was actually in that room. It had to have yeah. been. A ghost <gasps> was. Another sad historical site turned haunted house is Penhurst Asylum just outside of Philadelphia, PA. And the history of Penhurst is truly fucking awesome horrific beginning as an institution to care for the quote feeble-minded it operated under appalling conditions and no one noticed Mm. for decades i mean it's honestly so many of these institutions were where you just put people that the world didn't want to deal with and then everyone forgot about them Mm -hmm. no one they didn't have visitors like down syndrome like families were would like hide them away and never even visit i think that's what she's getting at oh yeah that's what yeah so this was like was like that 
You were like expected to do that if you had a child with a disability yeah, like that. Kinda. That's just what they did. They don't well, have like schools for them. People mm-hmm. had all these ideas of like, you know, society had all these ideas about like genetics mm-hmm. and they didn't want their other children to like have problems getting married in the future with like right. in-laws like worried about their genes. Oh, mm-hmm. that's so gross. And so they would literally have to like hide the fact and keep it a secret that there were like people in their family with mm-hmm. any issues. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's just horrific. It's really fucking tragic. And the story around Penhurst really does remind me of Lucy, what you mentioned, that famous Geraldo Rivera expose that like made him famous. Mm-hmm. And I've watched clips of that. I can't, It's so disturbing. It's one of the most awful things I've ever I seen. seen it. Mm. It's you might shocking. not want to actually. You're sensitive. Yeah, it's really hard. And, and there are definitely like young, not like children, children, but there are like teenagers young and teens, young kids. What year was this? The seventies. Seventies. Oh my god. Yep. I mean, this was. This is not a distant past. That that the conditions in a lot of these hospitals were this bad. So if, you know, the video footage from the Geraldo Rivera expose is very easily accessible online, but absolutely proceed with caution. Like, it's important that we know the history of what was happening here so that we can right. repair that harm but and make sure we're not doing that again. You to watch it to know it. I'm pretty right, sure but some it of is, them were children. Yeah, I, I, I guess I meant like babies, toddlers. Right. Like they were yeah. a little bit older. I didn't see that in any of the video that I saw. Doesn't mean that Doesn't they mean weren't, they weren't there. there. Right. But that's not what you're that's not what was like in the video that I saw. But just if you're going to look stuff like that up, just prepare yourself because it's really hard to fucking watch. Yeah, yeah. it'll you'll remember it. I've seen yep. it once. And it's oh, it's like, like burned in my memory. I, I will. I can't. Yeah. That and the Roman Empire. <laughs> so this is a quote from NPR. Quote, Bill Baldini was a young reporter for the local Channel 10 television station when he got a tip and made it out to Chester County to see the institution. He soon returned with a camera crew. His five-part series aired on local television in Philadelphia in 1968. The reports showed images of naked, emaciated residents swaying back and forth to their own internal rhythms or curled up in balls. 1968. Mm -hmm. Our parents were like well and truly alive, have yep. like real memories of Teenagers. This. Yeah. There were children tied to their beds. To this day, Baldini cannot forget. Quote, think of a ward of infants and children from the ages of six months to five years old. There are 80 of them in metal cages no. and they had to attend to them every day, all day. I can't. And these people were literally lying in their own feces for days. Like everyone there was in their own filth. Well, no matter what age you were. Ugh. Oh my God. And I guess this expose did fuck all to hold Penhurst accountable and improve the conditions much for these patients there because several years later, after a medical sociologist named Jim Conroy visited the hospital to conduct research on developmental disabilities, it was still like that in 1970. So this had come out, this expose had come out in 68. They didn't care. It was probably recorded around 67. It was run on the fucking nightly news. Two years, three years later, another doctor goes there for research 
and says, quote, I drove up in 1970 in my dad's blue Chevy and I saw a place with 3,700 people in it that was built for far, far fewer. And I saw things that I will never forget. Ugh. And he didn't go into detail because it was like, I, I, he couldn't even talk about it. Penhurst was finally shut down in 1987. Jesus. Oh my God. The year we were born but now operates as a fucking haunted house, like an actual attraction. It yeah. is, is a haunted polar- house. Which is a polarizing choice that has a lot of people understandably upset. Both Baldini and Conroy say the site should become a memorial to the past, not a haunted house. People line up around the block and pay up to $50 a ticket to go inside. And like I said, we've gone on a tour of a sanitarium that like, is said to be haunted and that obviously could be seen by many as distasteful, but this wasn't what the Penhurst owners are doing. Like this is a full blown Halloween haunted house with like decorations and people jumping out, scaring you. Oh, and, like, Jesus. It oh. wasn't like ours was like a tour where the tour guides had been there for a long time and like discussed Talked experiences about that they'd had there. The history that Talked was there. Talked about the history. Yeah. It was just a different vibe. It like, did not even occur to me that it would be a Halloween haunted house. Yeah. Yeah. Clowns jumping out. Like, this is literally like the haunted basement that Lucy and I went to. That also That level of life. haunted house. I'll never yeah, do Yeah, but that, that was in like an old museum. You know, that wasn't in like. Yeah, it was in like a warehouse. It was in an old soap factory turned art space. Oh, wait, the way the when we went to was at that glass blowing place, but it wasn't in like a building that had this really history. dark history mm-hmm. of like real t- trauma and abuse and recent history. Like, I don't know yeah. why, but like cognitively, like shit from the 1800s just feels very different than yeah. shit from the 1970s. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it just I mean, I'm I don't know. It just it just feels really icky mm-hmm. what what this is. So, uh, yeah, it like I said, it's a full blown Halloween haunted house. And when guests first enter, there like is a small museum with photos and information about the history of the space. But then you go through a like fully produced Halloween experience, quote, filled with gruesome props, bloody dental patients and parts of the original morgue, Mm -hmm. like using pieces of this place where people suffered and died. And probably that props, that museum part is just to like hype people up. It's It's not it's not to memorialize the CYA cover Mm -hmm. your ass. But I think Lucy, it's probably even more what Lucy's saying. Yeah. Not even to cover your ass, like set the tone like this was real. Yeah. yeah. These these scares are real. Like, yeah. get you really connected to that mm-hmm. before right. they send you through so that your experience is heightened. I would imagine that's exactly what they're fucking doing. Yeah. The last walk is through the underground tunnel system that used to connect the buildings and screams filled the seemingly endless stretch of utter darkness. Like uh. they... Like they are piping in the sounds of people screaming. The owner, a guy named Richard Shakesian, believes he has revived the formerly crumbling space and it operates most of the year as like a recycling facility with the haunted house open uh, only during the Halloween season. Quote, we went well out of our way to make sure this event doesn't mock or mimic any of the handicapped, he said. Uh... And I believe that the public that comes through here know the distinction and the difference between making fun of something and a Halloween event. I don't think you know the difference, sir. Yeah, that felt like a very cheap Uh, brush off. Yeah, I see what he's saying. I don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, yeah. Not into it. Yeah. 
So for the last tale, we're going to hop the pond to Whittingham Psychiatric Hospital in the parish of Whittingham near Preston, Lancashire, England. And you know what that means. Yes. <laughs> Time for some geography. Lancashire or Lancashire, I don't know, is north of Mold, <laughs> east of Gort. Beautiful, beautiful this time of year, Gort. I, oh, I love the leaf peeping in Gort in autumn. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. South of Skin Burnus. <laughs> That's what happens if you take a whiskey bath. Straight yeah. up. And west of Sewerby. Stop. <laughs> oh, these are all real fucking. Jesus. Skin I do want a vacation in Gort and take a little jaunt over to Mold. Gort. <laughs> Born and raised. If you're from Gort, let us know. Please. Please email get us. at us. I want Gort pics. I want mold pics. <laughs> Skin burnus. Skin burnus. Yikes. Sewer bee. <laughs> Get it together. So opened in 1873, this was the fourth quote-unquote lunatic hospital in that Lancashire area, as the other three had become overwhelmingly full. From Wikipedia, quote, extra accommodation was urgently needed and to this end, the building of Whittingham Asylum for, quote, pauper lunatics, <laughs> like the poor and yeah. infirm, oh, oh, geez. began in 1869. Don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah. They started building it in 1869. It was completed in 1873. Well, these are people who named a town Mold. Uh, yeah. So, Gort. no, they're not sugarcoating Calls them like a season. <laughs> yep. It opened with 115 patients already enrolled, many of whom actually helped build it. So, like, imagine building your own prison, basically. Ugh. And the conditions were awful. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have plumbing. Like, it was not cute. The hospital not only treated psychiatric patients, but also soldiers hurt in the First and Second World Wars. So it was like a pop-up hospital as well. Definitely haunted. Yeah. And between those two wars, employees of the asylum had gone on a massive strike due to the conditions and lack of workers' rights, but the strike ended with little progress made. Still, the space operated for decades. It wasn't until 1967 that a full-scale inquiry was brought forth to uncover its history of abuse and neglect, and the complaints included reports of patients just being left untreated. Mm -hmm. Some patients had been given only bread and jam to eat or had been given, like, food mixed up and served as, like, just slops or slurries. <sighs> Some patients had been locked outside, regardless of weather conditions, or in washrooms and cupboards because there was just nowhere else to put them. Cupboards? And if they were, like, yeah. And like if they Harry were, like, Potter acting style. up, quote, unquote. Like, imagine being mentally ill, put in these conditions, and then you have... An understandable, like, meltdown or outburst of emotion yeah. because of how awful this is. And the solution is we're going to lock you in the cupboard until you cupboard, calm down. Like a pitch black cupboard that we won't let you out of. Ugh. Yup. In one ward, students had witnessed patients being dragged about by their hair by staff and nurses. Amazing. 
on ward three, a male, which is an all male ward, patients were given the quote wet towel treatment, Ooh. which involved twisting a cold wet towel or bed sheet around their neck until they lost consciousness to subdue them. Oh my God. Probably yep. because then it wouldn't leave a ligature mark. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. And it was cheaper than medication. Wow. Yep. If they even had it. Patients were, well, I mean, around this time they would have had it. It was opened in 1873, but this report didn't come out till the 60s, 1960s. So they absolutely would have had, along that evolution of this hospital, there would have been, you know, therapeutic medications. Cheaper and didn't leave a mark. And they'd already, I think they just had already been doing it for so long, completely unchecked. That this, yeah, this like systemic sadistic abuse, just anyone new coming in there as an employee is taught then this is how we do it here. Right. It becomes a culture of abuse. Yes, it becomes the culture. It becomes unquestioned. Patients were seen to have been punched and locked in storerooms. On another male ward, Ward 2, it was alleged that two male nurses had poured methylated spirits into the slippers of one patient and into the dressing gown pocket of another and then set them on fire. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Yep. The yeah, that's place not a was... treatment for fucking anything. There's no, no fucking excuse. They're just, they're they're just, just fucking with torturing you. Torturing vulnerable people yep. in their care. There were full-blown rat and other vermin infestations just... You just see them walking around just like in your case, Kenyon. Yeah. And a complete lack of temperature regulation. So when you weren't locked outside, you were also subjected to living in like ice cold wards in the winter and unfathomably hot wards in the summer. There was just like no cross breeze, no fans. It's honestly like Guantanamo Bay. It's bad. Or like... A lot of immigration detention centers today, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. ICE detention centers, like there have been exposés that like these yep. conditions are not dissimilar. They are very much similar, in fact. And mm-hmm. it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Yep. So as a result of the investigation, both the head male nurse and the matron took, quote, early retirement. Oh, yeah. Time yep. to go. Spend Two time with their nurses. family. Still get to keep yeah. their pension, I'm sure. I'm sure. Two male nurses were convicted of theft, and in a separate incident, another nurse was jailed for manslaughter after an elderly patient that he had assaulted later died. And that's probably the only person that was yeah. held accountable for, I have to imagine, a lot of other deaths. I love how deaths. T- two people are held accountable for theft, but not for torturing human beings. Yeah. And then one person got a manslaughter charge mm-hmm. when I can't even imagine how many people probably died in these conditions. Yeah. And under this, quote unquote, care. Or came close. Yep. The hospital was in steady decline until it finally closed in 1995. Shut up. Oh, my God. And was left abandoned for several years. Now it's been repurposed into other, like, government buildings of some kind. But the reports of hauntings had started long before its abandonment. One staff nurse who used to work nights at the hospital explained that while he was working there, he normally didn't feel uneasy, but recounted two experiences in particular that made the hair stand up on the back of his neck. As most of the patients would be sleeping, it was usual for the staff working the night shift to talk to each other to pass the time. While talking to a colleague one night, the colleague suddenly stopped talking and her expression completely changed. When the other nurse asked what was wrong, she explained that she'd seen a shadow over his shoulder. (laughs) Yeah. 
The staff nurse said that he didn't feel anything on his shoulder, but that the colleague that he'd been speaking with was certain of what she'd seen. The next experience that the same nurse talked about was uh, a corridor that was well known amongst the staff to be like super spooky. The corridor was a shortcut between some of the wards. And one story about the corridor was that a girl had taken the corridor to save the five or six minutes that it would otherwise take to get from one end of the ward all the way to the other. Sure. Shortcut. And when she was halfway down the corridor, all of the lights just turned off. Mm. And she was in complete darkness. Mm. The staff nurse explained that the one time he walked down that corridor, he felt extremely uneasy. There were windows along the corridor looking in on, like, abandoned wards, like old wards that they don't use anymore, that still had old iron beds. And the atmosphere just left him feeling very uneasy. There have been many other stories of spooky things going on in the building, from full-body apparitions walking the corridors to easy sounds and just a general uneasy feeling in that space. Ooh. So those are my little dives I today. thought they were going to be more fun. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't pick the topic. Yeah, thanks, Sarah Gallup. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Our fan I hope picker. That- Actually, this was a good topic, especially for October, but... Yeah, I just hope that everything we discussed today, you are not seeing or experiencing in your line of work because this was some fucked up shit. Yeah, Yeah. really hoping that we've moved on from literally torturing people. Right, torturing vulnerable people. Probably not, though. I mean, we haven't moved on entirely. Not in every part of society, prisons or detention centers, but... Maybe we've made some progress in mental institutions. Let's One can only hope. Okay. With All that, right. I need to go. I got to go. Take I got to go. I need to go touch grass. Love you all. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Cheers!